This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams And this is the NFL season kicks off sports business podcast, The Sportacast. The NFL season, the the big boy on on the hill, the eight hundred pound gorilla of sports business, the national. Should I do a George or a? Uh, oh, please, a, a John yeah. Facenda. Frozen uh, Tundra. Right, I, I, I really wasn't <laughs> planning on doing this, but <laughs> on a rainy day in Green Bay, the National Football League returned. What's the what's the kickoff game? I still I have no idea. It is Bills Rams on Thursday night. Bill, right, so they're going for like, you know, Super Bowl champion, star quarterback, all that stuff. I was yeah. just in Buffalo, by the way, and I was in. Now, this is going to sound bad, but it's not. I was in the Bada Bing. <laughs> this is not Uh-oh. the Sopranos Bada Bing. <laughs> this is a sports bar near. I think I think we were in the Hyatt downtown. There was a preseason game on Eben, not a table to be had. And everybody wearing Bill's jerseys. Right, and the NFL so, is king. The NFL, the, the NFL is, is king. king. I, I, I mean, I mean, we we do have starting today. We have a series of stories coming out on Succession, and it played out. And we came up with the idea to do this because we've been seeing problems in in sort of handing down teams, and there's been infighting among family members. Most notably among the Denver Broncos, when you know the the estate of Pat Bolin, it, it became an an ugly, messy thing. Uh, that team was sold, of course. So we wanted to take a peek at what goes into this. How do people set up the wills and estates and trusts? What are the rules that govern this? How do they go about it? What are the pitfalls? So we do encourage everybody to take a look at that. But after that, we get to the business of the NFL and that's television, right? It's, it's, it's just TV. It's media. We still have the media arm sale of the NFL going on, but uh, we did get some information out of Fox that shows us, reminds us once again, that the NFL is just a behemoth. What did Fox tell us? Fox has almost entirely sold out of its ad inventory for the Super Bowl. Uh, for people who are wondering if that's early, it's very early. Typically, a lot of these sales happen in September and October. Uh, instead, right before the season has started, Fox is over 95% sold out. Some of those 30-second spots got selling for $7 million. It feels like just two or three years ago that we eclipsed the $5 million mark. $7 million for for some 30-second ad spots 
in the Super Bowl. This is a, a Fox game uh, in February. Just another data point talking about all, all of the things you teased in there, that, that NFL business is booming, valuations are soaring. I think Kurt Badenhausen put the average NFL team at $4.14 billion value heading into this season. New TV deals are about to kick in. There's a lot going on uh, that, that, that really shows the NFL flexing its muscle, continuing to flex its muscle right now. Yeah, well, tell me about streaming again. Wait, I thought I thought the whole world of sport was about streaming and data capture, knowing more about your customers and Manning casting and narrow casting. No, no, no. One thing that Roger Goodell and Brian Rolap have always told us about the philosophy of the NFL is that it, and when I say it, I mean the owners, the owners have a strategy of breadth, B-R-E-A-D-T-H, wide breadth. They want to capture the biggest audience possible. And because they can do that on linear TV, you know, that dying medium, right? Because they can do that on linear TV, the NFL, unlike some other leagues that has to take chances, uh, they can sit back and experiment. Hello, Amazon Thursday, right? Thursday night with Amazon. They can sit back, dip a toe in the water, see how it goes, learn from the other leagues. You know the sports world is watching MLS to see what happens with their their streaming-only Apple deal. The world is watching to see what happens to the audience size, what happens to the ability to monetize whatever eyeballs show up. So the NFL has, you know, the, the, the king of all luxury here. They can learn, what do they say? A smart person learns from his own mistakes. A truly wise person learns from the mistakes of others. Well, the NFL has that ability to kick back, put the feet up, and watch the mistakes of others. They do not need to take any chances. And 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 don't want to do anything to jeopardize their standing as the most watched entertainment platform in the country, right? What is it 45 of the 50 most watched TV shows in every year in, in recent memory have been NFL games, none more watched, obviously, than the Super Bowl, which is drawing a hundred plus million million viewers uh, every every time it's played. Scott, I wrote this down because I thought it was interesting. 1981, there were 30 second Super Bowl spots being sold for two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. Now, what year was that? That was 1981. Now they're selling for over 7 million. So that's a 24, 25 times uh, increase in in that span. I was curious what's appreciating faster the price for a 30 second ad or the value of NFL teams. I looked at uh, our valuations that the NFL team sold closest to 1981 was the Bensons. They bought the Saints in 1985 for 70 million. The Saints are now worth 2.2 or 3.26 billion. That's a 46 times multiple. So as much as the price of a 30 second ad is increasing, the value of NFL franchises are appreciating at, at almost double the du- double the rate. All right, regular listeners who know my warped brain, I'm hoping you can guess since you're bringing up what has increased more. <laughs> what 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 am I going to ask? Can we compare two things? The price of the Super Bowl commercial versus something else that we have discussed. What do I want to know? I know you haven't uh, done the math. I have not. I don't know what it is. I mean, we know we talked about the Honeydew syndrome. There it is. <laughs> I want. Yeah, I want to compare Super Bowl commercial price versus the Honeydews. The price of the Honeydews at the U.S. Open. That's exactly well, the Honeydews what I was hoping you would since do. Two thousand and seven. Uh, so I think both the Super Bowl and the uh, and the and the NFL team appreciation is happening at a much faster clip. But no offense. I, to Mr. Anthony Krupe, our media writer, but I have not. I saw the story move, 
So I, I knew, you know, what what the headlines were, but I have not had a chance to really read it. Did he get into it all? Which companies are likely to advertise this year? I mean, you had the streamings. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a lot of crypto.com. Yeah. I'm just guessing. As marketing budgets, I mean, remember, this is all happening. I think you need to look at the backdrop, right? This is happening at a time where if you throw on any financial TV show, you're going to hear the recession word, right? And marketing budgets are being slashed. Is the NFL, is the Super Bowl immune to the chief marketing officer's command of, we have to watch our nickels. We have to watch how we're spending. Oh, wait a minute. The Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. How much? Seven? That's okay. Go ahead. Make that spend. I I think the answer to that has to be yes, Scott, just by virtue of the fact that Fox is 95% sold out way earlier than they've done 10 of these Super Bowls, Fox has, way earlier than they ever have been in the past. And and you can make maybe some arguments to split the difference between what you're saying and, and, and that being the case. And it could just be that there are just a few specific corners of the advertising world that really want Super Bowl ads and, and, and the rest are maybe a little bit more blase. Anthony didn't get into all those details. But yeah, I think there's every year there's something specific. Last year, you mentioned the crypto. There were so many crypto platforms and lenders that that, that wanted to advertise. I agree. I think we're going to see a little bit less of that in, in February 2023 unless some crazy market rebound happens. But sports betting is one of those. Now that there, as more and more states come online, a lot more companies are willing to do national advertising spends as opposed to state by state back when there was only just a few states that were legal. Uh, I imagine, depending on what the the product circulation is, we've seen a few electric car ads. There's usually a lot of car ads and a lot of long ones during the Super Bowl. You might see more electric car ads. I think there's going to be specific, and I I can't predict what it's going to be right now. Obviously, some people can because they're buying buying the spots right now. But there's definitely going to be some specific corners of the advertising industry that over-index during the Super Bowl just because of what's happening in their world. One of the things I enjoy is that it's completely changed. The way companies have gone about, and I think it's the advent of social media, has completely changed the philosophy. It was always closely guarded, right? Make people watch the game and then there are so many indexes afterward, which one scored well, and to make that list was was coveted. Now, I'm, what percentage of Super Bowl ads would you say you are familiar with or have seen, I mean, in its entirety, you have seen prior to kickoff? I mean, I think you've got to be close to 95, 100%. Like, <laughs> nothing really surprised them. me anymore. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I've asked this question to, to marketing experts because it's always kind of curious to me as well. I think the general philosophy here, Scott, is that you can get two two bangs for your buck, right? You can get the pregame social circulation of your ad if it's really good and funny, and you're also going to get the 100-plus people that are watching it uh, when they're when they're watching the game live as well, right? It's a, It's an opportunity to maybe get buzz before the thing runs and then to also get a similar kind of buzz that you would have gotten if you had not released it ahead of time. It, it certainly bothers me as someone who likes the the enjoyment of seeing things for the first time during the game itself. But I think if you're a marketing expert, I, my guess is you're seeing more eyeballs on your ads if you're doing them before the game, dr- dropping them before the game starts and then letting anyone who's watching the game and happens to have their eyes on the TV during the commercial to also get get that experience as well. And let's be clear, if Fox wanted to be 100% sold out, it certainly could be. <laughs> they are holding back certain number of ads as, as often is the case. As they get closer, they can 
ramp up the price, get another headline. That's that. That's what you just said. It's your second bang for buck. Up oh, seven point five. Up oh, we we tickled eight eight million for the thirty second spot for that final one left in the fourth quarter. You know there, you'll get that ballyhoo. Let me ask you this. I'm going to test your memory as you are younger than I. By the way, a a, a good chuckle that a longtime friend of ours and friend of the program, friend of sports business, emailed the other day to say that they were watching something on, I believe it was Netflix or whatever. Yeah. And they said the person in the show was a young Eben Novi Williams. That had to sting, dude. Brutal. That had yeah. to sting. I, I can't think, how, <laughs> you used to be young. I'm now a young Eben Novi Williams. Yeah, no, no, no. That's now there are people who are the young Eben Novi Williams. That, that has to hurt. Just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Let me, let me test your memory because you're not so young anymore. Still, to me, the most effective ad, I believe it was the last Super Bowl, unless I'm going back two years and I can't remember anything, but was the, uh, the QR code the on Coinbase. the screen. It was, yeah. oh, that was Coinbase? Coinbase? See, I was going to say, did you remember who it was? It was, yeah, that was Coinbase. And I thought that the Larry David ad, which was a different crypto lender, and that one I actually don't remember, was also pretty darn good. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. There, there's certainly, I thought you were going to go back even further. There, there are a lot of ads that stick out from my childhood as as really, you know, impactful ones for me. And they're, they're almost all, I, I bet if I could trace them all, their roots back to the Super Bowl. One other thing in, in Anthony's story, Scott, that I thought was kind of interesting, Super Bowl ads are also getting longer. They, up to 50% of Super Bowl ads now are 60 seconds. So not only is, does it cost more and more for your company to, to buy a 30-second ad, uh, more and more people are paying double whatever that increase is to get 60-second spots so that they can do bigger, longer, more narrative form ads. So it's happening in kind of two ways in terms of willingness to spend. The price of 30 seconds is going up and companies are making more increasingly making the decision that they want two of them because there, there, there's more value in a 60-second ad than there is in a 30-second ad. What if we went subliminal advertising? Remember, like, you used to have, like, a quick frame, drink Coke, drink Coke, and people yeah. would then be thirsty at the movie theater? I would buy 32-second ads. <laughs> but you think that would be effective? <laughs> and you... then sell a 28 on the back end? <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's what I would do. Fractional I mean, so... Super Bowl ads would be a great kind of middleman market, right? You, you buy a 60-second spot and sell six 10-second kind of micro ads? I wonder if you could make your money on that. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if, if you could. What are you looking forward to to the NFL season? You know, I grew up and I have absolutely zero rooting allegiances these days. I do not care. Unlike our Corey Left, aka John Wall Street, who will wear his Jets gear every, every day during the NFL season. Uh, and anything capture you like you know th this player, this team, this the storyline, this and I mean besides, by the way, on the business side. The sale of the media assets. We're still yeah. waiting to see <laughs> Goldman Sachs is shopping. You know, it's also the sale of Sunday Ticket. Sunday Ticket for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 obviously, going to a streaming partner. So, you know, build, help build Direct TV. I mean, I think the NFL was to Direct TV what The Simpsons was to Fox. I mean, along with NFL, of course, we we, we know that. Um, so, I mean, The Simpsons started out as like little snippet cartoons within games. They were hmm. whether it was thirty seconds a minute, however long they were. But then they grew into, of course, like the great franchise that it is. But anything you're looking forward to? I mean, I, you know, I'm a nerd on this stuff. I'm, I'm not a huge like X's and O's guy. There's a lot going on in the business side. And you mentioned a few of them there, the media and the, and the, and the Sunday ticket. Uh, what's happening right now with uh, Dan Snyder and the commanders? Uh, another fascinating legal thing that is working its way through Capitol Hill and also some lawsuits. And, and Roger Goodell has been kind of dragged into that. As well, there, there is some interesting stuff obviously going on with Deshaun Watson and what the end result of that suspension is and what the ramifications are 
for the for the for the NFL's discipline process moving forward. Um, the, the, working on this uh, on this secession series, Scott has got me thinking a lot about the oldest owners or, or the longest tenured owners in the NFL and w- what plans may be in place if and when matriarchs and patriarchs pass on. Uh, there's a whole lot of really fascinating things happening behind the scenes as the NFL, as, as we're talking about, kind of continues to, it, its upward tick towards the 25 billion revenue projection goal that Roger Goodell set about a decade ago and then started saying that he wasn't, uh, wasn't actually considering it as a goal anymore, but new TV deals kicking in sports betting is, is increasing the the revenue options we're seeing in the post COVID world, at least for some, uh, some markets and some entertainment properties, a real willingness from people that want to get back out to sporting events. Um, I think it's a really interesting business time for the NFL, for sure. Speaking of business, I'm going to go a little on field, which we don't often do. Does Lamar Jackson have a contract yet? He does not have a contract yet. He does not. And, and there's this push and pull, A really right? interesting Well, yeah, it's a push and pull there. of, yeah. well, Deshaun Watson got the full guarantee. And the owners, of course, had to look side-eyed at the Haslands for, for doing that. And you've seen some others where they didn't quite get full guarantees. So you wondered, did the other owners prevail? in the business of football uh, because precedent didn't mean much there. And Lamar Jackson certainly has leverage, but can he get the full, the full guarantee? Um, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting equation right now. Because, at some point. Yeah. I was going to say at some point that there could be a, a great, really in-depth dive about that Lamar about that Deshaun Watson contract and, and the two ways in which it has impacted the NFL and its future business. One of which obviously being the fight over his suspension and the new discipline rules that were kind of blown up by, by Roger Goodell's decision to appeal uh, the independent arbiters uh, initial decision. And then secondly, the thing that you're talking about, which is the, the most lucrative guaranteed contract in NFL history kind of blazing a potentially a new trail for athlete pay that that you're right in the in the two months since that deal was announced hasn't doesn't look like at least and we'll see what happens with Lamar hasn't fully permeated uh, into other contracts quite yet but that, that Deshaun Watson signing by the Browns amid all of that and and the structure of that deal I think is going to end up having two very big and very different legacies within the NFL itself what's the takeaway from the US Open you were out there quite a bit. You had the sights, the sounds. You experienced it, and this is not the kind of guy you are, but from sort of the the luxury level, right? You, you sort of saw that that experience, and they're selling. It, it is an upscale event. We, we know that. But they really did ratchet up the premium part of this. Elevate helped uh, the USTA sell uh, corporate spaces, meeting spaces, suites. It was about premium. And I'm not surprised. I mean, I I always wondered why they didn't lean harder into what the demographic demands. And and that's the premium luxury experience. The the premium, everything, I think, business-wise at the U.S. Open, and we talked about this on the show earlier this week, is is, is booming right now. I think of this year's U.S. Open as kind of a tale of two different weeks. We, We talked a lot, obviously, in the first week about Serena. It was the Serena event. And part and parcel of that, we also discussed what is tennis going to do when Rafa and, and Roger and Serena and Venus and, and Novak are no longer the stars of the sport? Well, we're getting a preview in the second week of the U.S. Open. I think uh, all, all eight quarterfinalists in both the men's and the women's singles draw, none of those 16 players have ever won 
a Grand Slam before, or, or it's there's 14 of uh, 15 of the 16 haven't won. There's very few players that are left singles wise that have won Grand Slams, and and that is a, a peak at the future, right? For good and for bad, I think we've seen with Francis Tiafo, a young American man who is certainly exciting. That if he makes it, kind of breaks into that top level, could be great for for the sport and great for the sport. In, in, in the U.S., Coco Goff, who, who lost recently, another good example of a young American who the crowds really like, who, if she becomes kind of a, a consistent top five player, is fantastic for the sport. Uh, I think, yeah, again, we, we got the, the, the send-off in the first week and did bonkers, millions of people watching all of Serena's matches, and now we're seeing tennis kind of grapple with, okay, this is what it's probably going to look like moving forward and who's the draw here? Who are the best players? Who can we make kind of the face of the sport moving forward? And some of there's going to be growing pains in there, I think for sure. But, but this U.S. Open especially feels like a glimpse into tennis's not so distant future. All right. You and I have not discussed this in our, in our massive preparation for our, <laughs> our podcast this Uh-oh. week. Uh, hey, we had a big team call. We didn't really have time to say, what do you want to talk about? But did you see the headline on the Ohio State Notre Dame game? Did the, you see the, the viewership numbers? The viewership numbers. I did not see it. No, but I'm assuming it was large. Okay, so fill in the blank. Here's our headline: Ohio yeah. State Notre Dame draws blank in. Uh, oh wait, no, I'll even give you the yes, you know, in booming college kickoff. Give me a number oh, for okay. Ohio State Notre Dame that you think it's uh, gonna would, be big. Would it fall was right a Saturday night. The game was close. I'm going to embarrass myself by tossing out a number here. I'm Don't go Super Bowl on me because we started there, but you know. Yeah, yeah, under under 100. Uh, I'm going to say seven and a half million. Okay. You're only off by three million. Ten and a half. 10.5 million viewers. For those who don't, yeah, we, we need to put that in some context. That's yeah, that's a huge un- for the first, the first game of a season, a non conference game for, for, for these schools. Um, I mean, college football, Scott, you know this, but some of our, our readers or listeners may not fully grasp it. It's the second biggest TV property in sports in America, but yep. behind the NFL. Um, and if you look at the, the money numbers, it's nowhere near the side. The NFL is getting under this new deal, what, like $11 billion a year in TV money, maybe even a little bit higher at, at that point. The the, the money spent on, on college football's TV is, I mean, it's it's, it's a couple hundred million for the, the college football playoff. The Big Ten and the SEC are, are just around a, a billion dollars. College basketball is a billion dollars, but that's obviously not even in the, in the equation for college football. It's interesting to me that, that the, the, the NFL is obviously the behemoth here, but, but I think what you could argue is the second most popular sport on U.S. television right now, college football, from a financial standpoint, at least right now, is really lagging behind the NFL from a media standpoint. From now on, when we talk, I mean, I'm going to count Notre Dame as like Big Ten and SEC. I'm just going to count that. As in, I don't want to have to <laughs> yeah. go for uh, you waste words. When we say Big You're Ten and SEC, yeah. we're just assume we're also including Notre Dame whenever they play. But here's the line from Krupe. The Saturday Night Football premiere now ranks as the most watched U.S. TV broadcast since 14 million viewers tuned in to see the, ready for this, Warriors close out the Celtics in game six of the NBA Finals. There you go. Yeah, so Celtics, M- Warriors. NBA Finals deciding game. You, you have Steph Curry, global superstar. You have season. Boston Celtics, legacy brand in the NBA. This was right, right behind that. And then all told, the ESPN family of networks. I love that phrase because, of course, now we're including Hulu, Disney Plus, all this stuff. The ESPN family of networks posted its most watched weekend opening weekend, weekend opening weekend, come on, Krupi, in six years. So if you're wondering, 
this seismic battle shaping up for this expanded college football playoff and the bidding between Rupert Murdoch's and Disney and how much they're going to fork over to control this thing. Fantastic. And it's sports business, just, just a sports business onlookers dream. And a reminder that when when a lot of the athlete college athlete rights lawsuits were working their way through the U.S. court system, the NCAA continually said that if athletes gain the right to monetize their their rights, less people would be watching college sports. Uh, and that you know we're one year into NIL, that obviously is not true. And a lot of college sports and college football fans complained a lot about the the new transfer portal rules, which have instituted a, a form of free agency in college football that, that I would argue and many people have uh, should have been available to them all along. And a lot of fans moaned about that and said that they would also stop watching college football because the transfer rules made it too much like professional sports, at least through one week of the new college football season. That seems very definitively uh, to not be the case, Scott, that, that, that despite a lot of changes that make college football a little bit better for the athletes that are that, that are playing the games every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, at least the fans are, are still tuning in. I'm going to put you on the spot, and then I'm going to let you close the show simply for my own entertainment. Oh, boy. But yeah, I start thinking about it now. This is good because now you'll stumble <laughs> your answer to this one. No, I'll put you on the spot. So did those people who said that if if athletes were given the right to monetize their their NIL name, image, and likeness, uh, that college sports, you know, the audience would, would go down, all, all that, did they really believe that? Or was it a knee-jerk reaction to, I just want to hold on to everything that I can? It's a great question, Scott. Did, did the, the, all the major league commissioners who said sports betting was a fundamental threat to the, the integrity of their sports for, for two decades, did they really mean that? Or were they just kind of waiting for, for the economics to change or trying as, to hold as on As I to have told economics? you, I, I won't say who, which league, which kind of high-ranking executive, but I have, I have said this before that one did say to me, that like the, there was no moral objection to sports betting. There was no fear. There was no anything. There just wasn't enough money. And when there was enough money, that that would be enough to overcome any and all opposition. And there we were. It, that was simply just about the show me enough and we'll make it happen. And I think that that is a, is a, is a good proxy for what's happening right now yeah, in college okay. sports that a lot of people are realizing, oh, there's a lot more money if we do things this way. And as a result, yeah, we're willing to let athletes do this. We're willing to let them transfer. We're willing to do all that because in the end, we see the forest. We see that, that there's going to be a lot more money here. And we will see and talk about that money, Scott, uh, as it unfolds. Ooh, he tough is one right there. Tough Scott one right Soshnick there. Okay. on Twitter <laughs> at Soshnick, no underscore. I am Evan Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. The show is produced by Matt Whitehurst. Shout out to Matt. Our digital media editor, Cora Veltman, wants you to know that you can download this show wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Sportacast on what will soon be, and honestly, actually, Scott, I think will soon be the Sportico Media Network. I'm, I'm working on it. 